Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Behind the Veil. Welcome uh, back to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about photography. Uh, we're going to reinvestigate this lovely thing uh, about wedding photography because there's so much to talk about that it wasn't a, we weren't able to do it in just one show. We needed multiple shows. And we have an amazing guest. His name is Jeff Claude, and I'll introduce him shortly. But before we get to him, let me bring on Marcy Gutenberg with an affair to remember by Marcy. Hi, Marcy. Hi, Keith. Nothing like a live show when all of a sudden my camera decides to go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, we're just doing the introductions. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's actually one of the things I think is interesting because we were just talking to Jeff about having to deal with last minute issues and needs and that you have to roll with some of these moments like just like that. Just now. <laughs> right. I mean, but I think that's that's an important component. I mean, when you are looking for a great photographer, you know, having somebody that can spin on a dime is really important. It's I mean, so important. I mean, these pictures last forever. They last forever, and they can be used for so many different things. And that's one of the things that we'll be talking to Jeff about is about SEOs and how to use them for your professional life, but then also talking about a personal life. But well, let me just bring on Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Jeff, I, I'm, you know, I, I didn't do a big intro on you because my camera decided to do a big flip up. But will you tell us a little bit about you and your company, your current company? Okay. Well, my name's Jeff Kolodny, and I own and operate Jeff Kolodny Photography. I've been a photographer since I was very young. Actually, 13 is when I started taking pictures. Um, my father was a very, very talented amateur photographer. So when I grew up, we had a dark room in the house and my whole life evolved around picture taking. My family used to have photo night where my dad used to set up a screen and his slide projector. Oh my and God. we used to post it. We used to have a slideshow and we used to talk about our vacation pictures, our fun pictures and why we love this picture. What makes this particular picture really great? You're and, that guy. You're the guy with the slideshow of his, of his vacations. Oh my God. You're right, right, guy. right. It was, it was a family <laughs> thing. And you know, every <laughs> vacation photo was analyzed. You know, that is God. awesome. So um, I grew horrific. up with this. <laughs> That's horrific <laughs> at the same time. It's like, oh, you don't look so good. You need to be, you know, chin up. I mean, I could just imagine. Right. It was like, like oh. the lighting looks great. And look at that bat. You know, it was just, um, you know, every single picture that my dad took. Yeah. We critiqued. And we also talked about what we were doing and how much fun we were having when that picture was taken. Um but I was about to say, it wasn't all critical, right? I mean, right, right, right. But but it was it was it made for a very entertaining, <laughs> fun evening. Wow! Well, and cool. you did, and you did mention that you, you know in your bio it does talk about the fact that you've loved photography since elementary school. And I don't know. I mean, I, it's one of those things that you know kids get kind of embarrassed about their parents at at some point in their life. And the fact that your family was really big into this this photography night. Did you ever go through a, a, a time in, in your growing up that you were like, you know what, maybe that's, I maybe I don't want to do photography night? Or was it always a passion, even through high school? It, it, was, it was always a passion. And actually, we took a family vacation. We took a cruise from New Orleans, this Russian cruise boat to Mexico. It was right. the first cruise I ever took. And um, kids were not allowed in the casino. But I was 13 and I had a quarter. Right. And I put the quarter in the machine and hit 777. And the machine's making all kinds of security came over. So then the question was, well, what do we do with the winnings? I mean, the kid's 13. He's not allowed to have the money. So they gave the money to my parents. And yes. my dad was like, okay, well, what do you want to buy? And I was like, a camera. You got your first camera because you gambled? Oh, my God. <laughs> So I'm just saying for all those kiddies out there, gambling is for you. <laughs> <laughs> they they closed the casino big time. Security was posted at the at the casino. They made wow. sure we did not go in there ever again. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the fact that they actually ended up giving you the money. But thank you know, thank God for international waters. I'm just gonna right, say right. that. You know, they gave the God money to my waters. dad yeah. who yes. who said, Okay, you could buy whatever you want. 
um, within so reason, your I guess. First high end camera, right? Camera from the gift shop on the cruise ship. Oh, oh, nice. You, oh, wow. So you were like, okay, I want to go. So the cruise ship got it back. I don't know what they're complaining about. I mean, <laughs> right, I mean, right. Oh, yeah, they got the money back. Oh, that's what I'm like. They might as well hand you your camera. So, okay, so then you get back from this cruise. You're super excited. You have your 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 new camera. What do you do with it? What's like your first project? Like your the thing dog. that you're like, I'm the photographing dog. the dog. <laughs> you know, um, you know, whatever, you know, I skiing. Eventually I got tired of the camera from the gift shop. Right. And I ended yeah. up gravitating towards my dad's camera. Like my dad had very nice equipment. Had this little camera called a Rolly 35, which was like this very, at the time, high-tech pocket camera. Um, The best lens, great for the ski slopes. And that became mine in no time. (laughs) I mean, the fact that you, I mean, your whole life, it's all been about photography. And and then and then I, I want to talk to you a little bit because again some of the stuff that we were talking uh, before we went on live I love the fact that you you were talking about the fact that you were building this portfolio and you moved to LA and the person that you were trying to get hired by literally laughed at you and here's somebody that you've been doing photography since you were you know eight years old I'm assuming well thirteen. Yeah after 13 but uh and then you were thinking really i've been doing photography my whole life but i like i tell that tell the audience what you did with that reaction when they said you can't work for us but you can go way down south of the valley to work for this other color place tell, you know tell us that story well you know i went to school in new york i majored in photography communications And when I graduated, I was already shooting. I was making some money as a photographer. I was working on some movies. And every time I came in contact with a famous photographer or a film producer or director, or I worked on a movie, it was always the same thing. We're done shooting. We're going back to Los Angeles. It was nice knowing you. So (laughs) I decided to go out there my junior year of college and check it out. And Loved it. Just thought L.A. was all my favorite photographers. They all lived in L.A. Um, So I finished school. I packed up my portfolio. I got in my old got in my old broken down Ford Mustang and drove to L.A. You know, I had friends who told me your car can't even make it to L.A. (laughs) <laughs> Good old college life. I'm I heard saying. it all. Old- I heard it all. Yeah. I would say, yeah. oh, it's 3,000 miles. They say, no, it's not. 6,000. 3,000 there and 3,000 back. You know? <laughs> um I got to LA. Yep. I applied for a job at this photo lab that was the most prestigious photo lab in the country. I had no idea. I met for the president. Un- well, I think for those that are under 30, you used to have to go get your film processed at a Right, right. And this and this and this, <laughs> you know, this was the top lab in the country. It was the first photo lab that actually had digital imaging. Photoshop started pretty much with one of, with a lab like this. Nice. I met with the president of the company and he basically said, "No, we're not going to hire you." You have a very nice looking portfolio for a college student and you're very ambitious, but you're not, you're not going to, you can't work here. But he did send me to another photo lab that was in the corner of the San Fernando Valley in a town called Northridge. And they took me in and I basically learned everything you could possibly learn about photo processing and printing and photography from the ground up. Of course, I also wanted, I wanted to be a photographer so right. I ended up also getting a job working for one of the most popular studios in LA, this studio named Willie Leon Photography. And Willie Leon was an old famous fashion photographer mm-hmm. and actually made his money, his fortune in real estate. And he owned the Willie Leon building in Tarzana. And they hired me to work weekends. So every single, they didn't really hire me because I didn't get paid. Every single every single weekend, I was out there shooting weddings and not getting paid, you know. And how how important was it for you in your learning curve on how to be good at what you do? Was figuring out how film is developed and and the processes around it. It was extremely important um, because as a when you're shooting film, you have to pay for every shot, right? So you you learn how to become a disciplined photographer very quickly because every photo counts and every photo costs money. 
Um, right. If you're shooting like medium format, which the go-to camera at the time was a camera called the Hasselblad, between buying the film and the processing, it cost a buck a shot. You know, wow. now I had advantage because I had this photo lab job, so I could do photography, bring my film to work, put it right. in the processor, and and we actually had parties in the photo lab where we would have models and beer and pizza and whatever and the guy who owned the lab said no i'm going to keep the lab open for you guys because i just want to be here and we <laughs> oh, would, that's nice you know and that's we just nice. and we shot pictures and we would immediately put them in the processor and look at what we shot um oh today God, you have crazy. digital you could see right, exactly what you shot yeah right but back but then you didn't you had so we had to process everything what um, I love about this, I love about this, is because I'm seeing this geeky kid run, driving across cross country, working for this random photo lab out in the in the the valley, and then you end up photog- doing photography for Playboy. Yeah. I mean, whoa! I mean, I, I'm like, he, I mean, you're you're here in the coolness level, and then now all of a sudden you're like way up here in the coolness level because you made it to Playboy. Right, right. It's a long road. It wasn't, and not, and not an easy road, and a, and a road that was paved with a lot of frustration. Um, yes. At a certain point, you know, the person who owned the lab, the little lab in Northridge, he sort of got, he learned that, you know, Jeff's getting to be a pretty good photographer, and right, I can actually right. hire him. And if Jeff does the photography, I get the lab work. So I ended up doing some corporate work, commercial work, um, right, and photography for some department stores and I would do the photography and then he would get a print order that was like $50,000 for like gazillion posters that go to every single store in the country. Um, And I was the photographer at a certain point, people sort of started saying, Hey, can Jeff shoot for us outside of the lab? Why do we have to, why does he have to be attached to this lab? Um, Basically I was attached to a big bill that these people got. So well, I started and, I and, and I mean and then we would talk about this as well. I mean that's kind of how I got my start in this business also is that I was working for a hotel and and clients were saying, "Well, I don't want to have to do my event at this hotel. Can you do my planning at another location?" And that's exactly how I got into the wedding business and and being an event planner. So I totally get it. And it's such a great way to blossom, so to speak into sure. your your next career because it, it feels very like next next step right and you have to learn somewhere and and you have to you know be thankful and and somewhat humble with the fact that somebody gave you a shot somebody 100%. you know put you let you work for them and you know in every profession mistakes get made and and you know, starting out, you want to try to get past these mistakes as quickly as you can. And if you're making mistakes with someone else, it's like, it's a bummer. But at the same time, you've already <laughs> made that mistake. So you're not going to do that again. You're like, okay, now I know what not to do. Your boss right? may not be too happy. But of course, if they were that unhappy, they would fire you. So well, I, the mistakes couldn't I, have been that I, bad. And I love the fact that you said, you know, you can't really, again, before we went on, we talked a lot before we went on, but I I love the fact that you said, you really can't, you said somebody, somebody famous had said that you can't really call yourself a professional until you've logged 10,000 hours in what you are doing. So why not log that 10,000 hours with somebody else and make those mistakes while still making a living before you do what you're supposed to go into? Sure, exactly. And start working for yourself. Exactly. And I would never have access to, I'd never find myself in a situation where I'm photographing bride after bride after bride after bride on my own. That would have never have happened, you know? Um, So it happened for another studio. And granted, I didn't get to use those images because they belong to the studio. But I did get the opportunity to shoot and look at what I shot and have somebody critique it. Cause every image I shot was critiqued. I used to sit down after a wedding and my boss used to go through every single photo. Okay. Bride with mom, check bride with dad, check bride with mom yeah. and dad, check. Where's the bride and her brother. She didn't have a brother. Okay. Just checking, you know, I just, right. you know, so I was responsible to right. make sure that everything was covered. So when I show up and I'm photographing a wedding now, yeah. that's top of mind. Like I don't have to think about like, did I get this? Did I get that? It's natural. I have a natural sequence for covering everything that needs to be covered. 
And I don't need to look at a list of like, right. at least not the basic stuff. When you get into like, you know, great aunt so-and-so, obviously that sort of thing, you're going to ask your client to have a list of those special people. <laughs> but it's a lot of it is experience and having your, your hands held to the fire with your boss, making sure that you got everything you needed to get. It's interesting that you've had the same kind of like critique system since you were in elementary school. You know, the family getting together and critiquing photos and from a very early age, and then your boss did it again at a, a different age. Now, do you find yourself doing that for uh, new photographers that are working for you? I do. You know, um, when someone's working for me, um, I critique everything they shot. I sat down with them. I go through what they've shot. I try to be as non-threatening as possible because I work for some people who, quite frankly, were hard asses. You know, I mean, they were just not easy people to deal with. That lab job that I had in Northridge, right. every day I went to work, I thought, okay, today's the day I'm going to get fired, you know? <laughs> um, and, you know, so, I mean, it was tough. Was it was more. really tough. Willie Leon, a lot of big egos. Right. And, you know, do you, you know, you know, you could touch my camera, but don't break it. You know, like, like, hello. <laughs> And plus you were in LA. So, I mean, add that to the ego list. Oh, yes. I mean, oh my God, <laughs> I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. Yeah. Uh, so then, so here, so now let's, let's talk about like, because I don't want time to get too far away from us before we, we get into the meat of what we're going to talk about today, which is what makes a good wedding photo. If you're a bride and a groom out there, right. And you're, you're looking for a photographer. What are some of the top things that people should be looking for in their photographer outside of experience? Because experience, I feel like, is one of those things that everybody automatically looks for. They go, how long have you been shooting? And, you know, you know, how long have you been in the business, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, what are some key things that you would like you would want your photographer to say when you are talking to them about shooting your wedding? I mean, I, I know that seems like a fairly vague question, but I'm trying to look at it from the point of somebody that's a newbie into the wedding business because most couples have not been married before. They go into this with eyes wide open, like, holy moly, I had no idea that there was so much to choose from and so many things to ask. So I'm trying to figure out a way to pare down like the questions that you feel like couples should be asking from their photographer. This is a great question and it's a great sort of line of questioning because you know when you look online and when you look at you know instagram and you look at facebook and you look at pinterest you yeah. see a lot of great images mm -hmm. you know it's one image it's one image it, exactly and the question you have to ask yourself if you're right. a bride hiring a photographer is is this a one-off is this a lucky shot that the person got because they happened to have the right camera setting and the lighting happened to be right and they happened to catch the right moment? That's the question that you need to ask yourself. And that's what requires further investigating. And well, I have to tell you that there's a, there's a company out there actually that I've used several times and their Instagram is amazing. And the product that I've gotten, there were like seven 10 shots that were amazing, but they took thousands. Right. And it's like, oh my God, I wanted so many, so many better pictures because this event was amazing. And why couldn't you be like your Instagram the whole time? So right. I've fallen into that trap. I've fallen into that trap. Right. And I actually, I do, you know, obviously with all my lab skills, my Photoshop skills, whatever, we also make albums right. and we custom design our wedding albums. And I've gotten a few wedding album orders from brides that have hired a photographer that doesn't do albums. And I'm always questioning, like, why don't they do albums? And, you know, did they not have the Photoshop skills? And why would they leave that money on the table when they could do album sales? And I'm a big believer in albums and printed material, because if you give digital files to some people, Mm -hmm. Five years later, they don't know where those digital files are. <laughs> and, or in, in, you know, so I always say print is forever. Albums are forever. If you have a disc or a, a USB sitting on your coffee table and it says wedding, chances are someone's not going to ask to see those pictures. But if you have a wedding album, a beautiful album sitting on a coffee table, someone's right. going to pick it up. So, it. right. And it, this album is going to last for generations. So in order to make an album... 
And by the way, you, by the way, you just sold me on albums. I've never been a huge like album person as an event planner. I always think, mm, like, it's going to collect dust. What do you do? But I love the fact what you just brought up, and it's stuff I hadn't thought about. Sure, and it depends on the person too. I right. mean, it depends on the person. You know, um, we right. do a lot of albums. Um, you know. And they're going to be, and they get seen. I mean, we have like, I have a picture on my website in, in an album section where, you know, and this is very common, you know, the bride ordered a custom album to match the carpet in her house because it's going to sit on the coffee table and she wants the album to want to match the decor of her living room. And it fits in perfectly. This is like a beautiful piece of artwork that sits in her living room. Sorry, um, the it looks so good. I had to take a picture of this. I'm like, oh my God, Sorry. this like... <laughs> Was the, was the living room designed for the album or was the album designed for the living room? Right, right. I so, caught that. <laughs> I, yeah, sorry. Sorry, that was a little little dirty humor there. Um, okay, but okay. So back to the questions that you feel like uh, a new couple should be asking, okay. you know, their photographers. Like, what are some of the basic questions that you feel like couples should be asking that they're not? Okay, well, one of the first questions is, um, can we see an entire wedding gallery? Okay, when a photographer, most photographers shoot a wedding, the pictures get posted onto a gallery. And that gallery has a password. And if you're a bride looking at photographers, you want that password from several different weddings. You don't want to see the best of the best. You want to see an entire wedding. Right. And that's going to give you much more clearer idea as whether the photographer is able to shoot on command. You know, Smart. you want to look for good lighting, nice posing, um, right. pictures that are in focus, you know, um, you know, one of the things also, and I mentioned albums for a reason. Um, we had a client that wanted us to make an album. We got the pictures from the photographer and the pictures, a lot of them were so underexposed. They weren't usable. They were very like grainy. You know, and one of the pictures actually was all the bridesmaids lined up and you could see the shadow of the photographer in the bridesmaids dresses. And, oh <laughs> and the bride gosh. was like, can you get rid of this shadow? And I was like, it's a pretty detailed shadow. You could see right? his head, his <laughs> arms, him holding the camera wow. and it's right over the dresses. So this isn't wow. going to be easy. And, and of course that was followed up with, you know, obviously fixing the pictures. It wasn't just make an album. It was fix the pictures. And all these pictures look great when they're small, but you try to make an album, like if you have an album that is right, 12 by 12 album, you open that book, a double page spread is 12 by 24 inches. That's a big print. If that picture is not solid, it ain't going 12 by 24. Okay. So that's where the technical expertise has to be there. The photographer has to be able to shoot images that are well exposed and that look good. So, Another another thing that a bride could ask is, yes. can we do an engagement shoot? Well, you know, and I was actually, that was what that was literally in, on my brain. Like, it, it doesn't make sense to do an engagement shoot with a new photographer before you hire them for your wedding. Because many times a photographer will say, I will include an, an engagement shoot if you hire me. And I almost feel like that should be reversed. Like, we'll do an engage, we'll pay for an engagement shoot. And if we like it and hire it, maybe you can then discount your package to include that. But yes. Right. Absolutely. Um, And and the idea is that, you know, like I had a client that I talked to the bride. The bride, you know, was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm happy to hire you. I love your work, blah, blah, blah. The problem is my fiance, you know, and I talked to him and he was like, tough guy, you know, I don't like pictures. I don't like having my picture taken. I'm a very hardworking lawyer. And I don't smile. What are you going to do about it? You know, <laughs> like that's how he put it to me. And I was like, well, let's do an engagement shoot. Okay. I would and then say we'll... billable hours. I'm going to make you smile. Billable hours. <laughs> right. And, 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 you know, we did the engagement shoot. And, and one of the things about experience with a photographer is when you've got a camera in your hand and you're photographing someone, if right. you have experience and you can tell them how to pose and how to stand and and educate them a little bit on the art of interacting in such a way where it looks good, you're going to gain their confidence. And once you gain their confidence, the smiles are going to come more naturally. Um, if you just basically, like I had someone, people hired me, they've said, you're the second photographer. We didn't engage with you. We didn't like the person. And I've said, right. well, what 
did you not like? And they've said, well, the person just left us hanging. Like they had great photojournalistic images on their website. They captured these great moments. But when we got to do the engagement shoot, um, we got out there and we said, well, what do we do? Right. I'm a dentist. Right, I'm not right. a model, you know? And, and the photographer said, I don't know. Act normal. Walk around. Look at each other. Laugh. Well, you know, they sort of now they sort of feel like idiots. Like, what? Huh? Look at yeah, each other and laugh. True. You know, like they don't know what to do. OK, so they were like, it didn't go well. Thing, yeah, You're right. You're right. So, I can totally see this. I can totally see this. Yeah. But so you can't leave people hanging. You have to take charge and and explain, you know, you can get those photojournalistic moments by yeah. explaining to people how to do a walking shot. Like I'll say, I'll set them up to walk down a beautiful path and I'll say, okay, you guys are going to walk toward me. And when you walk toward me, I'll tell the bride, look over at your fiance, but don't just right. look over at your fiance, give him a nudge, make sure that his walk is not perfect. Okay. Right. Bump right. into him a little bit. Right. So he right. loses a little bit of balance or, you know, sort of throw yourself into him as if to make sure that there's no question that, you know, I'm here you know, in the very cute sort of fun, sexy sort of way. And, and then the, the groom, if she's doing this is going to respond in yes, kind. Because he's and in love. You right. Know, and you, and love. then you've got your shot yeah. and the people aren't concerned with like, how do we stand? How do we walk? How do we, you're, they're doing it. It's there. It's them. They own the shot. They own the pose, but you're helping. Okay, right. which is a much better way of doing things than just saying, "Well, I don't know," you know. Right. Look at the camera. I love that. I love that. I love. I, I love that. I love that. I love that. And then, what about um, what what should people be expecting when they are when they get the photos back? So you've hired your photographer. You've had your engagement shoot. You, uh, you they they did all the right things, like you know what you were just talking about. You know what should be the average number of photos that a couple should be expecting back from a normal wedding? Let's say a five-hour wedding, right? Ceremony, cocktail reception, dinner, dance, etc. You know, except because some people say four hundred, some people say six hundred, some people say eight hundred. I mean, I've seen as many as twelve hundred, which I thought was just way too much. That's just too many photos to look at. But you know, but it, it's all over the place. Right. So is, is there kind of an average or is it really based on the photographer? There's somewhat of an average. You know, for me, most of the weddings that I shoot are usually a minimum of eight hour packages. Okay. Right. I sort of feel like right out of the gate, having a really good wedding timeline or mm -hmm. at least wedding photography timeline is critical. You absolutely need to, and I always do my timelines by starting with the ceremony and then working backwards. Right. So I'll figure ceremony time, how many, how many, how much time do we need for family? How much time do we need for bride and groom photos? How much time do we need for, then I'll take all of those times and then I'll work them back from the ceremony time, which gives me my start time. And that usually comes up to about eight hours. Now I work with a lot of wedding planners. So sometimes I'll just give that to the wedding planner. Then the wedding planner will tweak it and then put it in their timeline because the wedding planner knows more about the entire day. Whereas I'm more focused on the photography. So well, and I agree. I agree with that. I, I do that all the time with my, with the photographers that I work with also is that I'm like, you tell me how much time you need for each of these sections. And then let me figure out how to put it into the timeline, the overall day. I, but I, I have to know how much time you need. Right. right. And it changes can... depending on the yeah. size of the family, you know, big family, small family. Some some people, you know, I'll talk to the bride and groom and I'll say, well, you know, how are you guys with family posed family pictures? Some people will say, well, we don't care. It's it's about us. And we want some family photos, but mostly bride and groom photos. Other people give me a list that's three pages long of family photos and are like, yeah, they're all important. And I'm like, OK, well, we're going to have to leave a lot of extra time to get these family photos. You know, what do you think about, what do you think about first look then? I'm a huge fan of first look. And I think that where possible, every right. wedding should do a first look. There are some circumstances where you don't need to do a first look. For example, if you're shooting a church wedding and the bride is it, like, I recently did one where we started at the bride's house. We did her and her family. This is her family home. So there's meaning in starting at her house. 
Right. Um, right. We did her we pictures did in her house. Then we went to the church. We did the guys at the church. And then at the end of the ceremony to the start of the cocktail hour, there was a three-hour gap of time. Okay? So if you have that, you've got plenty yeah. of time to do bride and groom photo. There's no reason to do a first look. You know? Yeah, we did that actually for a, a wedding I just recently did at the Epic, and we were at the St. Michael's Church or God, St. Episcopal, one of those. Anyway, so same thing. There was like three hours of time between the end of the ceremony and the beginning of the party, which was horrible for the guests, but amazing yes. for the bride and groom and the family because they were able to get all those amazing photos, and it was they just turned out stunning. Oh, my God, stunning, because nobody was pressured. Right. You know, right. There, there was no like, oh, we got to get these in because I want to get to my cocktail reception. Exactly. It seems to be a, ba- a big thing right now with brides is that, oh, I got to get all these shots in, but I, but I also want to enjoy my cocktail reception. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that stress that you are, you are thinking about trying to get to your cocktail reception is starting to show up on your face. Right. And so, you know, you need to be natural and relaxed and have some fun with these photos so, okay, so I, I love the fact that you're a fan of the, uh, first looks. What about family members that ask you to take photos of them that the bride didn't have on, on her list? Yeah, that happens all the time. Um, and you don't want to say no. You know, like I never want to out and say no. But what you right. could say is not now, but I'm happy to do that later. Okay? Right. Come up to me during the reception, and I'm happy mm. to do beautiful family photos for you. Okay, I just can't do that right now, you know. Um, There's always an aunt or an uncle or somebody mm-hmm. that is a little pushy that says, you know, I, I really want to get a family photo of everybody under the archway. And I know it's not on the list, but do you think we could just do a quick one of us and the bride? And I'm like, there's a time schedule, and that's why we have a list. Right. And you're not on that list. and. <laughs> Because right, they're right. all dressed up and they want to be able to, you know, they have the whole family together or their family unit and they want to be able to have that moment, but they kind of need to right. take I tell them to go, go on a cruise. I tell them to go on a cruise. Like, you know, get a family shot at the, on the cruise, for God's sake. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, um, yeah. you know are you, of course, you know, you can always confirm with the bride. You know, people have this thing where they think that, oh, my God, it's a bride. I can't talk to her. It's a bride, but it's also a person, okay? So if you have good rapport with the bride, you can always come over to her and say, hey, look, you know, Aunt Louise wants this big family photo, you know? Are you game? Or is this something that maybe I should just say we could do later? Or And, and, you know, 99% of the time, the bride's going to think about it and say, yeah, okay, fine. She's my aunt, you know? Um. Other times I have had couples say, if, if aunt Josephine comes over you, you tell her, no, I've had couples tell me that, you know, she's a pain <laughs> and you have every, it's, you were giving you the authority to tell her no, you know, funny. and I, and I've had that too. Um, but you know, you always want to be polite. You, mm-hmm. you, you don't want anyone to be unhappy. You don't want a guest to be unhappy. So this is, you know, this goes back to experience. Yeah. If you have the experience at a wedding and handling people and being able to deal with these sort of situations, then there's a very nice way to say not now, later. Yeah. I mean, and, it, it and, takes a real, it, it's a real art form to tell people no, you know, because you got to say it in a way that doesn't actually say no in, in the sentence. You right. Know, you right. don't want to say no, because that always puts up a wall immediately. Like, what do you mean? No, but you know, but if you phrase it the right way, you are saying no, but in a way that they, they go, Oh, I get that. You know? You know, it's a matter. It's a matter of lo- being logical sometimes with with somebody, right? And, and you know, letting them in on the timeline sometimes helps as well. Like you know, sure. understanding that it's only three minutes. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit, but because now that we have these amazing photos, right? You're I'm an event planner. I have I have the most amazing couple. We had the most amazing photo shoot at this amazing church, and now that the the couple has allowed me to use those photos for my for my purposes right so a couple questions so we're going to get into to to how to use these photos for your own professional use okay marketing right marketing right so i i mean i have basically and i and i'm the worst at marketing i'm the worst at it i mean i do not 
<laughs> I am like literally drag drop 30 pictures into a, a Facebook post or three photos on an Instagram and shoot it out there. And that's it. I don't, I don't have a lot of thought process behind it as, as sad as that is, you know, so what should a, an event planner or an event professional be using for the professional photos? Is, is it people or is it, because I've heard both, is it people or is it backgrounds, decor, visuals? It's both. It's, it's both. both. It, and it depends on, you know, um, I'm very big on SEO, which is search engine optimization. And SEO is not just optimizing your website for search engines. It actually is people who it's a loose term, but it actually there's a lot more to it. There's search engine right. marketing. There's a, and, and the idea is you want to come up on the search engines and you want to do that through your website. Okay. Right. So. Okay. And you're basically playing into what Google is looking for. Now, there's all kinds of other search engines. So, um, you know, for example, you know, even Instagram is a search engine. Okay. Um, All of these platforms are search engines. And we actually, we just had somebody on that was a a professional about Pinterest. And we went through the whole process of like how Pinterest is different than Instagram and Google. And I, I mean, it was eye-opening but i so search in, so seo for right. your so we're gonna well, there's, talk about there's, there's yahoo your... there's all these yeah. other things they all follow what's known as an algorithm and right. and google is pretty much the maker of the algorithm so when you talk about search engine optimization or cert work or optimizing for search right. people mostly say google but when they say that they mean google and other search engines Okay, because they get the lead from Google. Okay, Um, most of the time, are there differences? Yeah, there are. But basically, what applies to Google, in a lot of cases, is going to apply to other search engines. Okay, so 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 what would be a search engine kind of phrase that you? Because I don't really even understand. I mean, we've been doing the show for a couple of years now, and and so a lot of people have brought up SEO, and I figured since you you seem to be very um, have a good grasp on, on this. What exactly is a search engine phrase that we that could be an example of what we should be putting into our website to get us pulled up? Is it is it wedding planner Fort Lauderdale? Is it amazing wedding planner? I mean, is are those even phrases that are considered a search engine optimizer? Well, those are what's known as long tail keywords. Okay, and you when you when you have a website. Mm. Search engines, Google, they look for text on the page and they're looking for keyword phrases. Okay. Now, what you want to do is you want to use keyword phrases that are relevant. Mm. And if you could, keyword phrases that have that incorporate your location. Because by putting in your location, you're eliminating competition that you quite frankly don't need to be competing against if you put in you know event planner well you're competing against the entire country or the world right or the world right or if you put in south florida event planner you're eliminating a lot of search area that you don't need to be optimizing for anyway so but do you have to put in south florida or do you have to also put in s F L A or I mean, how many different ways do you have to put in a lot, a lot. And this is where you get, (laughs) this is where you get into like the nuances of SEO. So you, what you want to do is what's known as keyword research. Okay. Okay. So certain key, you can go on websites, for example, like one of them is a website called Uber suggest. Mm-hmm. And Uber Suggest is, is free. It's it's not entirely free. It's sort of free. And then they want right. you to pay if you want more services. Okay. But As you can type said, in yeah. like you can type in South Florida wedding photographer into Uber Suggest in the yeah. keyword finder, and it'll tell you this is how many people are searching for this keyword. This is how much you would pay for this keyword. If you wanted to do pay-per-click where you just bought that keyword, this is how much it costs, okay? And if you have a website that doesn't have a following, then putting in a keyword that a lot of people are searching for is not going to be in your best interest. 
it's going to be like throwing an ice cube in a pot of boiling water. Mm. It's just going to disappear right away. Okay. So you want to go after keywords that, that people are looking for, but are not exactly highly searched. So for example, if you're doing a wedding, a particular venue, you know, if you're, you know, at, you know, the, the Boca Raton and you want to put in, you may want to put in something like, wedding the Boca Raton wedding planner because by putting in the name of the hotel you're eliminating right a lot of that you're you're not going to get as many people finding you but if you're trying to go after a keyword that everybody's searching for they're not going to find you anyway because you're not going to come up okay so if you do a wedding at a certain venue then you want to try to write content do a blog post that is in on that venue and go after people who are looking for a wedding planner or photographer at that particular venue. And then by you doing keyword research, you could find out exactly how many people are searching for that. So, for example, you can go into Uber Suggest, and there are other tools as well. You don't have to just use Uber Suggest, but right. I'm mentioning this because it's free. Um, but you could type in, you know, Old Palm Beach wedding. And you can see how many people are searching for that. And you can see how much it costs to get that. Once you start writing content on your website and you start yeah. getting some of the keyword phrases that are easier to get, that don't has, have as much traffic, you'll be able to get the more difficult ones later on. Google has something that's known as a keyword ranking, right. or it's known as a website authority. And okay. the higher your, the more authority that your website has, the easier it's going to be to rank for those harder keywords. So in oh, the beginning, have, sorry, 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 go ahead. In the beginning, you want to make sure you want to just get your site out there. You want to get those keywords in there and you want to start to build some sort of authority. Now, this isn't the same as hashtags, right? We're not talking about hashtags. We're just no, talking we're about not, re- regular no, words. We're not talking okay. about hashtags. We're talking okay. about keywords. Um, And you have to know the rules. So, for example, like you can't write, you know, a thousand words of text and just say South Florida wedding planner, South Florida wedding planner, South Florida wedding planner. Because that's what's known as keyword stuffing. And Google's going to catch that. They're going to catch it really, really quickly. And when they do, they're they're not going to send you a warning. They're not going to say, oh, you're keyword stuffing. Shame on you. They're just not going to rank your website. They're just going to say, okay, this person is up to no good. They're trying to beat the system. We're just right. not going to rank their site, you know? So amazing. I didn't even think about that because, you know, everybody talks about adding keywords to just in general to your website into a hidden area. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've heard this before that people are like, you know, oh, you need to add keywords to your, your site, but it needs to be hidden. So it doesn't pop up on your site, but it, yeah. at least your, your website in that keyword stuffing. Yes. You got to think of Google as very paranoid. Okay. Their main focus is that they want to provide the best quality search results. And they do that. There are a lot of different ways they figure this out. Okay. I mean, they're very smart. Um, You know, I did everything wrong before I did it right. And, like, and, and, like, and oh my god, I'm doing everything. And, and, and I did and I did SEO where I thought that I was smarter than Google. And I yeah. learned really quickly that I was not smarter than them. And I paid, you know. Um, I actually had two websites. I had one website that ranked high and one which was completely bad. It ranked high, but it wasn't a good website. And then I made a yeah. new website that was made correctly that didn't rank. So what I did was and this is when I was taking, I was studying digital marketing and I was a student at FAU studying digital marketing. And my professor was this digital marketing guru. And I went into class one day and I said, you know what I did? I took the content from my old website and I put it on my new website, but I rewrote it. So the word is different. And the professor said, great, now go back to the old website and just delete that content because you don't want to have duplicate content. So delete. I say, it's not duplicate. I rewrote it. It, It's the same way. So my ranking started to grow and then they just crashed. And then I got a note from some other SEO guru saying, Hey, you know why your website crashed? You know why your rankings went in the toilet? Because you have duplicate content because this wedding and that wedding are the same wedding. 
even though the words are different, even though you thought you were smarter and you could change up the, the it text, knew? it knew. It, it, it figured I mean, it out, and I got penalized big time. It took me four very or five months. <laughs> it figured it out. It, it can, they can figure out the difference between South Florida wedding photographer and wedding photographer in South Florida. It can right. figure out that it's the same thing. It can also compute that it's a different keyword phrase and you can get by on two different blog articles by trying to, but it can also figure it out. So Google is sort of like, they're going to scan your content and they're sort of going to make a decision. Do we let it slide or do Mm. we penalize them? So you have to really know the rules and there are things that there are ways to communicate with Google Right. And convey to them, like when you have a website, you can install something called Search Search Console, which is free by Google. And that's like an indirect way of communicating with Google. So when I write content. Feels very big brother. I have to tell you, it feels very big brother. Like, oh, my God, they're basically really controlling what everybody gets to Mm -hmm. see. And you have to play by their rules or you don't get seen. Exactly. Exactly. But they own the space. They own the space. And Facebook owns the space and Instagram owns the space. They all own, you know, and they all have their rules. Um, And it's it's their world. You know, that's true. It's true. It's their world. You know, it really is their world. I mean, at the end of the day, it really is. So you got to play by the rules. But I find this fascinating. I I mean, this is so fascinating because I feel like um, I I was listening to all the wrong things. I mean, I, I feel like we, again, we've had, we've had the same conversation with other experts and I love that. And every single time I learn a little bit more about how this works, but if you're a new business, where do you, I mean, how, besides listening to a show like this, I mean, how do you even figure this kind of stuff out? It's trial and error. Yeah. And well, in my case, um, I, did really well because we just wrote good content and right. unfortunately wrote good content on a website that wasn't very good. And, right. and we started to rank, but at a certain point when I need the new website, I decided that I wanted to get more formal education. So I ended up taking this certificate program at FAU and I looked online trying to figure out what can I do to increase my search engine ranking. This class popped up, you know, right. I called the number um, I got a hold of the head of the business department and she said, oh, this is the hottest class we have on campus. You're never going to wow. get in. Okay. There are only 20 spots available and 18 wow. were already gone. And two other people said they're signing up. Meanwhile, on my computer, it says, put your credit card in here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I put in my credit card and I'm yep. like, I'm already in the class, you know? And it was intense. I mean, the guy who taught the class knew his stuff. And when somebody starts, like the first day of class, the professor said, how many people want to drop the class right now? And most of the class raised their hand. And he basically said, listen, just stick with me. You know, it it was 14 classes, three hours a day, plus homework, blah, blah, blah. Um, He was like, just stick with me. Let me just go through day one, day two, day three. Day. Right. And, and you know, by the time we get mostly through, you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll understand how it works. And the thing about SEO is that there is a path that should be followed in order to be successful. So when you go online and you're looking like keywords, this, that, the other thing, what you're getting is like you're getting bits and pieces of really good information, right. but it's not in any order. You know, nobody's explaining to you how this piece of information interacts with that piece of information and how if you do this, you're going to be penalized and how you do that, you're going to be penalized. So there's bits of information that's missing. Um, And by doing a certificate program, by doing a class, you know, then you can learn this. But the other question is, like, do you have the time? You know, like I've gotten (laughs) SEO clients that have been like. I barely have time for the show. (laughs) I barely have time to do this. Oh my God. Right. So there's there's sort of like, you know, like I have, I have SEO clients that, you know, I do, I manage their SEO for them. They, they, they know about this stuff. They know what I'm talking about from talking to me. They don't have the time to do it. They, they just, they don't. So they're like, yeah, Jeff, that's why we have you. Right. Exactly. That's why we have you. 
Right. And now I can't do all of this myself either, but I have a staff, you know, I have writers who work for me and I tell them basically this story needs to say this, this is your focus keyword. I need an article written like that. Then we go through and do the backlinks, which is a whole other topic, you know? Yeah, we definitely don't have time for that, you know? Um, wow. But, you know, like I'm pretty proud to say that I've gotten very good results. If you go on Google and you search for South Florida photographer, chances are I'm going to be on page one. If you type yep, in yep. South Florida wedding photographer, most of the time, you know, right. um, headshot photography. Yeah, I'm on page one. Event photo- bar mitzvah photographer. I pretty much own page one, you know, That's funny. That's um, funny. But it took well, a it, long time to get to that status. And, well, and and I've done that. I've actually done that. I've actually put gone into Google and put in like, you know, South Florida wedding planner, South Florida event planner. And I'm I'm super I'm impressed because Bettina B, I, good for her, Bettina, because she's doing something right because she always comes up on first page. Always, always, mm-hmm. always, no matter what. And I'm always like, oh my God, how is that? How is it? She always ends up on first page. And now I, I'm starting to understand because she gets this. Sure. She she's also it. very good at Instagram. Like, you know, whoever's doing yeah. her marketing is definitely doing a very good job. I think it's her, actually, because we've had her on the show and she's very smart. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. She's very smart. Young, but very smart. Oh, my she God. She went to law you know. school. Yeah, she went to law school. So that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. you know, and but that's why I brought her up because, right. you know, you, you do a search for South Florida event planner or South Florida wedding planner. She, her name comes up automatically. So she's doing something right because I know that she does a blog post every every week or every month and has been doing it for years. And so does it make a difference about longevity? About how it does. Been doing it? it, it does. does. Google, Google, part of their algorithm figures and nobody knows exactly what Google thinks. People can only right. sort of say, because they're not going to tell you. But Google looks at how long you have been adding fresh content because they want a website that's committed to helping the audience over the long term. And, and, I, and I suspect that Google sort of looks at it like this in part. If we hire an SEO person, that right. SEO person is going to have a six-month contract or a one-year contract. After six months or a year, if the person's not getting results, they're going to stop. Okay? Right. So why are we going to rank them in six months or a year? Mm-hmm. They're not committed. They just wanted to throw money at an SEO person and get results. And that's right. not what we want. We want right. long-term commitments. So there's a term that a lot of SEOs use. They call it the sandbox. You know, right. is it real? Is it not real? Everyone's going to say something different. But it right. seems to be somewhat valid. The sandbox is when you make a new website and you start yeah. writing content. Google's yeah. not even going to rank your website at all. They're just going to say, nah, you're going to sit in the sandbox for a while. Okay. Right. Prove right, to right. us that this is important and you're going to continuously do this, then we'll sort of maybe start to let you out of the sandbox. But don't think that you're just going to write an article that's 8,000 words and show up on page one. That's not going to happen because you're in a sandbox. You know? So, um, like I said, this is a theory, and different SEO people are going to say different things, but it seems to hold true. Well, I, okay. So I'm going to give you a, a little, a little, uh, personal, like during COVID, right. We, during, we had, we, all of a sudden I had all this extra time. And so, uh, instead of sitting around, I started doing press releases. I started answering reporters questions. I mean, I was constantly in New York times and business and blah, 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 blah you know, name an article, name a, a, a publication that was in it. Right. And all of a sudden I started becoming on the first page, but then I was a, I was a victim of my own success. Because then I started getting very busy and now I'm way too busy to like, I feel like I'm way too busy to take the time to sit here and do the press releases, do the, the answers to, to the, and now I'm like, okay, now I'm starting to drop off again. You have to hire somebody. I know, but then I mean, you have to talk to people. <laughs> I mean, that's it. You have to hire someone, you know, right. and, and then, right. you know, bump up prices to be able to pay them, right. you know, 100%. and that's just a natural progression of being successful. 
Yeah, but man, it's hard because if you're a small business, learning learning how what what important what is important, who to hire, and and what to hire is very difficult to sure. figure it out at the very beginning. You know, that's why you have to be generally smart and generally understand enough so that when you hire the person, you know something, so they can't just BS you. Like they, they you know, you have to be. I mean, able to say, legit. <laughs> right. You got to be able right. to say, okay, I know something about keyword research. Okay. Right. I'm not an expert, but I know something. So then when you hire the SEO person, you can say to them, talk to me about keyword research, you know, mm-hmm. um, right. you know, explain that to me, you know, yeah, um, that, you know, you get the phone calls from, from the Google person, quote unquote, Google person that says, we're going to, we can help you rank higher on, mm-hmm. on, you know, and, and a lot of times it's like, I remember somebody said that if, if you pay us, uh, based on how much you pay us, you either come up on every search or every 10th search or every 20th search or every 100th search of a particular keyword, right? Right. Somebody says a Florida event planner. And that you could pay Google to come up on a, a specific list. Absolutely. But it was expensive. It was expensive. Right. Because Google knows how much the keywords are worth. Yeah. They know how much a keyword is worth. So you have one of two options. It's either pay and do yeah. what's known as pay-per-click and you put a certain amount of money into your account. And then every time you come up or every time they click on your keyword, that money comes out of your account and that money's gone. Or right. you could try to go for the organic. Okay. Now, right. one of my test questions in my class was pay-per-click costs money and organic search is free. Well, that's not yeah, true that's because you've got to pay someone to do the organic search. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. The right. difference right. is, once you have arrived with organic search, you don't have to pay every time somebody clicks on your website on page one. But you got to pay someone the right content to do the backlighting, do the SEO. You have to pay right. someone to do all of that work. And then you've got to slug it out for like a year or six months or whatever when you don't come up. And that's probably the hardest thing because you're paying someone to do your SEO. You're not getting any results. Your phone's not ringing. You're not even yeah. coming up online on when you do a search. And you're gonna, it's really easy to say, well, what am I paying for? Yep. And that's why Google has the sandbox. <laughs> and that's why Google isn't going to rank you so quickly because that's not what Google wants. It's like, you know, a, one quick way to get online is to do Google My Business. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and get, and get reviews that. and that sort of thing. That's probably one of the easiest right. things to do. And, right. and people will say all the time, like, if you write a review for me, I'll write a review for you. Okay. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that come up? I mean, if I wrote a review for you and you wrote a re- review right. for and me, people I mean, think, but, and people think that they're going to beat the system. Google's going to figure that out in two seconds. Google's going to be I'm like, okay, these two people know each other and they're writing reviews for each other. Isn't that nice? No, we're not going to rank them. You know? Um, cause they want one way content. Now, if you get something, if you get a review on Google, my business, you should respond to it and you should respond to it with keywords that you want people to search for. Okay. Right. You know, you, and if you're doing SEO on your website and nobody, this is another thing that nobody knows for sure. I say, yes, if mm. your website ranks online and you are on Google, my business, the two right. are going to be connected. Okay. Both yeah, yeah, get take, yeah. both get taken into account. And you're going to find that your Google My Business page is going to be more successful than if you just did Google My Business and you didn't have a website tied to it. Okay. Oh, Let me ask you a question. Um, so a lot of times when I use the product or service of, of a of a, a vendor. I write a review for them. If I'm writing the same review for them on, let's say, Google and something else, does Google knock one of them out? Yeah, because you know, I because I, I, I have people copy and paste their reviews all the time because I say, you know, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I, you know, you don't have control over what people are going to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do yeah. ask them if they could write a different review. Okay. Or just review on one of the pages. Don't review on both of the pages. You know, Um, you know, there's no, you know, Google and and I'm saying this Google and other search engines, you know, 
They're smart enough to also realize, hey, people are people. Like, what does a bride know about SEO? She's just, right. you know, or some brides do. Some bride, I have a client who's hired me who is an SEO person, you know. Right. So some people do, but a lot of people don't. People who write reviews, a lot of them don't know about this. So they're going to cut some slack to a certain extent where they're going to say, we're not going to penalize somebody because they have a really happy client, you know. And they're posting on the not and they're posting on Google reviews and they're, mm-hmm. they're, it's not, it's probably not. And when you're, whether you're going to rank or not is based on not just one review, but a lot of reviews, you know, yeah. it's, it's the whole thing. It's how long and, you've been doing this. So, And I think that is a great place to wrap this up because that is our hour. Oh my God, guys. Wow. It went by fast. fast. I, mean, I know it went by so fast. I could have. I, a lot I mean, of great serious, information there. A lot of great information. And Jeff, I can't, uh, you, seriously, not only are you uh, an amazing photographer that has obviously a huge amount of experience, you have literally opened my eyes in a very nice way. You didn't make me feel stupid, which was great because that's an easy thing to do. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Anyway, but again, thank you again for being on the show. Jeff Karani, thank you so much. And of course, we've got Marcy Gutenberg with an affair to remember by Marcy and Keith Willard with Keith Willard Events. And we will see you next Tuesday right here at two o'clock. But for now, everybody say goodbye. Bye. Bye.